What's the worst investment you've ever made? The worst. Did you lose 100%? I sure hope you didn't lose more than that. I mean, the only way to have done worse is to borrow money that you didn't have, invest that, and then lose all of that. Well, as many losers as I've had and as used to losing as I am, I've still personally never picked a stock for The Motley Fool that went down 100%, but I've come close. And this time, every year, once a year, I talk about my worst stocks, my biggest losers over the past three years. If winners win, losers lose. And it's important to talk about both. So, come with me, won't you? To the dark side, the shadow side, the losing side. Let's explore and learn today on my annual David's Biggest Losers, Volume 5. This episode of Rule Breaker Investing is brought to you by Investor Island. It's our first ever Motley Fool mobile game. Battle with opponents to see who can control the island. And what powers your battles? The stock market. That's right. Real stock market data powers Investor Island, like the NFL data powers fantasy football. Reviews on the App Store in our first month. 4.8 stars out of 5, with more than 200 reviewers reporting in. 200 or more fools can't be wrong. Download Investor Island free on your App Store, iOS, or Android anywhere globally. And you too may one day rule Investor Island, though watch out for the fireballs. Download Investor Island for free today. It's the Rule Breaker Investing Podcast with Motley Fool co-founder David Gardner. Welcome back to Rule Breaker Investing. I'll say it one more time. I think it's still cool. Happy New Year. Thanks for finding me. Thanks for finding me on the one podcast that I hate doing every year. Yep, it's my biggest losers looking at the six worst stocks that I've picked over the last three years. Years. You know, I was Googling David's Biggest Losers. You can Google the phrase, David's Biggest Losers. We rank top across the entire internet for that phrase. You'll find a link at the top above the fold, number one to last year's show. We're even ahead of the show, Biggest Loser. Its Wikipedia entry is somewhere down there around number three. So it looks like right now I own the phrase, I don't really want to, David's Biggest Losers. Losers, and here we are. This is volume five. Yep, we've been doing this every year the podcast has existed. We're in our fifth year, and this is volume five. I'm put in mind of one of my favorite Shakespeare quotes, which comes from the play in which the Motley Fool name was pulled from, As You Like It. And it's this one's from Act Four, Scene One. I had rather have a fool to make me merry. Than experience to make me sad. Well, we're going to be talking about some sad experiences here, but I'll be joined by a few of my favorite fools to maybe add some merriment, make me feel better. I'll be making you feel merry, I think, because isn't it kind of fun to watch a professional, let's say an NBA player, just airball 10 times in a row at the free throw line? I mean, it's fun to watch, isn't it? Cars crash? NASCAR? Is that why people watch? It's fun to watch people screw up bloopers. That's what this show is all about. David's Biggest Losers, Volume 5. Now, I am cognizant that these are stocks I've recommended, and you may own them. Uh, We own these here at The Motley Fool. Uh, A lot of members may own these. So, I don't want to make too much light of it, because it's a bummer to lose. The good news, though, is that we continue to give out more winners that win bigger than our losers. It's funny, I actually don't dedicate any podcasts 
all 52 weeks of every year here to my biggest winners. I've never done that, but I do like to celebrate once a year our biggest losers. So, thank you for joining in. Now, before I welcome my first guest to go over our two biggest losers over the past three years, I'm put in mind briefly today of one of my pet peeves. I shared it actually a year ago on this show, but I'm reminded of it again today because it's snowing just outside Fool headquarters here in Alexandria, Virginia. And it's that time of year where snow happens often across the United States of America. And there's some parts of our country, and maybe yours too, depending on where you live, where where it snows more than other places. And so the pet peeve of mine with regard to snow is that the further north someone is, the more patronizing they'll be to people south of them when talking about the weather. So, here in the Washington, D.C. area, we might get one or two inches here over the next few hours. It's a lot of fun. I'm always the person who's cheering on more snow. I realize not everybody feels this way. I root for maximum snow days. I want the whole world to grind to a halt whenever it starts snowing, so I have a lot of fun with days like this. But it doesn't take long for somebody to go, well, of course, People have no idea what they're doing in Washington, D.C. when it starts snowing. I mean, I'm from Maine, this person might say. Or, I'm from Chicago, and it's hilarious to me, this person will go on, just how inept everybody is in the city, whatever city south of me, wherever I am. So, this isn't about Maine, or Chicago, or Washington, D.C. This is really just more about Northerners. And Northerners here defined as anybody north of you. Coming in and telling you that in your area, people have no idea what to do when it just snows a half of an inch. But of course, the wise person talking to you knows a lot, right? They've been through it all. They can't help but look askance with maybe a little bit of a grin at how sad the state of things is in this southern city. And it makes me think, since this is, I hope, maybe a pet peeve of yours too, maybe I'm convincing you. Especially if you're from the South, it makes you wonder what if we reversed that? What if anytime it got hot or really sunny, those of us who were in southern areas hung out some around our friends in the North and just talked about how they don't even know how to embrace the sun? I mean, they have no real idea about how to enjoy the beach or how to get a good tan. They don't really get out of doors much, do they? What if all of us? patronized our northern friends any time the weather flipped the opposite way. It's just a what-if. All right, well, now to the actual topic at hand. It is debatable whether I was just stalling talking about snow, because I don't like to talk about my losers, but we're going to do it. And we're going to take it straight up. I've invited my friend Carl Thiel in to talk about our two worst losers over the last three years. Carl, welcome. Thanks for having me here. And I'm I'm glad somebody finally had the courage to stick it to those northerners in Dallas. <laughs> or, or, yeah, or, those, or those northerners in Tijuana, actually. Did you know that Austin, Texas is south of Tijuana? I did not know that. That's awesome. I know that you're in Austin, Texas, so that's why you know things like that, Carl. So, Carl, to use the kind of reverse snow snobbery that I was encouraging, presumably you're looking up at us in Washington, D.C. from Austin, Texas, going, you know, you all have farmer's tans. You look silly in the summer. We don't know how to celebrate summer here. 
Um, I, you know, I, I can't really feel that proud of it. We just pretty much cower in the air conditioning most of summer. But I, I, rec- I used to live in D.C., and I recall it being quite similar. So. <laughs> okay, fair enough. Well, Carl, thank you for prepping uh, for our worst two stocks. So, for each of these, I'll just briefly mention where they were picked and where they are today. But I've asked my analysts joining me this week to talk about two things that went wrong for each of these, and then one thing to hold out some hope for. And it's interesting to note how some of these stocks have done in the past. In other words, the ones I featured last year or the year before. How have they done? Have they bounced back or not? And I'll be mentioning that later in the show. But for now, without further ado, Carl, my worst stock pick in the last three years was picked on January 24th of 2018. So it's not even two years old. Anaptis Bio, the ticker symbol is ANAB on the NASDAQ. The stock was at $116.91 back then. Today it's right at about 15. That's right. This stock has lost 87% of its value in less than two years. And that, like all of the picks we'll be featuring this week, is shameful. Now, for each of these, I think it's appropriate to play a sound effect, and it should be something probably that suggests shame or embarrassment or bad stuff. And I think, I guess, for for our worst pick, it makes sense for me to go with the cinematic explosion sound because this has been our worst pick. Carl, that has been one heck of a bad stock pick. Yes, it has. And obviously, I, 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 you know, I feel personally wrapped up in this one. This has been ugly, but uh, but we're 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 here to do a little bit, a little postmortem. We are, and I want to make it clear that for every pick in Motley Fool Rule Breakers and Stock Advisor, I make the pick. It's my pick. Um, in in Rule Breakers, as Carl knows as well as anybody, um, I have a lot of teammates who contribute their ideas, and I select from their ideas. So, Carl, this one might have been from you, but I don't even think of it that way. I think of this as an offering from Motley Fool Rule Breakers to our members, and it is with my apologies that I tapped this one less than two years ago. So, Carl, let's talk about two things. How about thing number one that's gone wrong for Anaptis Bio and its unfortunate shareholders? Well, I think maybe what sums up the problem here is that if I'm going to pick two things that go wrong, they're sort of the same thing, okay. which is kind of the point. It's that the the company's lead program, the drug it was trying to get to market first, Tokimab, um, ran into to some worries about its prospects and took a big hit mm. and then outright failed later and just crashed the company. So, So even though the stock went down... 72% on November 8th. Um, it had already taken a big hit before that uh, because because doubts were being raised about this pro this, about this program. Um, and this is a this is an IL33 um, antibody that was being developed for asthma. It was being developed for eczema mm. and um, looked incredibly promising. And and part of the reason it went down so hard so quickly is because i mean a the company just had too much riding on it i mean that's just the that's just the risk of of a small biotech some you know a single drug can make a company and sometimes it's just really compelling to try to take a risk on a company that that's really got a lot most of its eggs in one basket and hope it works out because when it does it can be great but it it did not this time it's funny i was reviewing last year's 
David's Worst Losers Volume 4, and I was saying at the time that I was surprised there were no biotech companies among those performers, because usually, especially within the Rule Breakers service, and Carl, you've brought so many great biotech ideas to our members over 10 plus years now, but I was, you know, usually it's the biotechs that, that would blow up and give us some of our biggest losers. I'm looking over this year's list. This is the only biotech, but this is the poster child for, oops, we didn't get approval and we lost. I mean, a huge amount of value. So if I'm seeing it right, Carl, the the market cap for Anaptus Bio today is only about 410 million. That may sound like a lot to some people when you think it's lost 87 percent of its value, but it used to be a, a lot higher just within the last year or two. And that speaks to how promising this drug was because it was going. I mean, at indications like asthma and eczema, these are huge markets not always that well served and so yeah the, the hopes were high and part of the reason it was such a big surprise is because the the drug looked really promising mm. in earlier stage clinicals but that doesn't always work out well i'm we rarely add to our losers as any regular listener of this podcast hears or any members and i know we have a ton of them listening right now members of the rule breaker service we're usually adding to our winners so i don't think we're about to go out and Try to bottom feed here with with Anaptis Bio down at about fifteen dollars a share. Here again, it was at one hundred sixteen when we picked it less than two years ago. But Carl, is there something to hold out hope for? Yeah, so we you know we put this on hold. We put it in the penalty box, um, even though I, I pretty was I was pretty confident at the time that that it was likely to go up from there because it was actually trading at half the value of its cash in the bank. Now it's trading at just a little bit less than its cash in the bank, uh, which is still kind of a vote of no confidence. But um, there are some good things about the company. I mean, it has a very productive antibody platform for, for essentially making antibody drugs um, to, tar- to specified targets. And uh, they've been productive for their partners. So, for instance, a drug called uh, Dostarlamab developed for Tessero Pharmaceuticals has been submitted for approval, could be a significant product. It's not going to bring an Aptus Bio a lot in the way of royalties, kind of a mid-single digit, but it is going to bring them uh, quite a bit in milestone payments, potentially, so that, that cash balance they have should actually go up. On its own, it does have a product called uh, ANAB19, which looks very promising. We'd like ANAB a to go to 19, by the way, because that would be a nice 25% gain from here. But keep going. <laughs> uh, well, and and this, they're, next, they're filing to start development of their next one called ANAB 30. So there's, <laughs> there's goals for it. I mean, it sounds like the marketing team is working with the investor relations team as we're naming some of our hope for <laughs> solutions. Yeah, yeah. So uh, this isn't one where it's sort of like, no, just wait because this data is going to show blah blah. I mean, this really is a this company just got hammered, and mm. it's 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 going to be a while. I mean, I, I, I'm the the nineteen program looks promising, but but it's definitely uh, there's a serious competitor from Bering or Ingelheim, and the rest is coming up behind. All right, they've just got to be more productive. All right, well, let's not talk too much more about this one because I don't like to talk for long periods of time about my worst picks. Um, although the next one is equally bad in its percentage, and we're going to get to that in a sec. I, I would like to point out, as you mentioned, Carl, this remains a, an active recommendation in Motley Fool Rule Breakers. However, it is in the penalty box, so we're not suggesting that people buy it today, but we haven't sold it. It's basically, 
in old Wall Street parlance. It's basically a hold. So we'll see how it plays out. It did tip as low as 10. It's around 15 today, as you kind of alluded to. It is up 50% in the last month or two, but we are not actively recommending anybody put new money in ANAB if anybody still has any money left in the stock right now. All right, Carl, I. I'm already looking at the next stock, and we're going to get to that in a sec. But I know you have you have something akin to a conspiracy theory around Anaptis Bio, and I want you to share that before we move on. Well, it's I and I should probably not use that term at all. <laughs> Every time a, a drug fails, right, the company will come out and say, "Well, we're going to look more at this data and get back to you." And I have they have not made a peep since this happened in November. There hasn't hmm. been a single press release from the company. Uh, I'm not seeing any appearances at any meetings or anything like that. So really left scratching our heads. But what always struck me about this data is it failed. They changed the way they dosed it in this trial. So when they had done the very successful phase early phase two work, they'd given it to people intravenously, and in this trial, they just gave it to people by a simple injection. Hmm. And I have no idea how that played into anything. I've not heard anybody address it, and I'm dying to hear from them. So I, I don't want to say that atokumab is going to come back from the dead the way that Biogen's mm-hmm. atacanumab Alzheimer's drug did. But I'd really like to hear them actually come back and address this at some point. Well, you never know who might be listening, Carl. In fact, I can't imagine Anaptis Bios getting much chat among the podcast universe this week. So maybe we'll actually hear something from the company about that. Well, let's move on. To really, really bad pick number two. The ticker symbol is TRVG. This I first picked on June 28th of 2017. Boy, that means next year I won't have to talk about this anymore because I only look back three years. And if it's four or more years, those drop off our radar for David's worst pick. So this is the last time I'll have to talk about Trivago in this particular series. So, yep, June 28th. 2017, Trivago, TRVG, trading at just below $21 a share today, just below $3 a share, and rounded up, that's also a drop of 87%. Carl, I think appropriate, maybe something that sounds like pie in the face, because I think that's kind of how this feels to me. And Carl, you have nothing to do with this one, but you've graciously consented to do a little research and let us know two things that have gone wrong for Trivago in the last two years. Yes, and and I feel like the spirit of Rick Minares may be lurking around somewhere, so maybe he'll maybe he'll call me out if I say something wrong. Well, indeed, Rick but, Minares, uh, one of our talented analysts, will be showing up in a little while to talk about some more of these. Um, so yeah, the the company is Trivago, and this is. Kind of, if you remember um, Kayak, which is this meta search engine for airfare, kind of what Kayak was to airfare, Trivago is to hotel bookings, mm-hmm. um, an aggregator of information across the web that makes its money by supplying leads to advertisers, essentially. Yep. And Carl, I'm curious, have you ever used it yourself? I have not. Um, you know, it was traditionally more used in Europe than in the U.S. Right. Although they did make a big U.S. marketing blitz. Um, but I, I have to say, I'm maybe I'm part of the problem here. I've never used. <laughs> well, it what about there. Kayak? Out of curiosity, did you ever use that? I didn't. I loved either. Kayak. All right, <laughs> I use it all the time. <laughs> all right, so Carl, what has gone wrong for Trivago? From the thirty thousand foot view that one might. 
get from a plane booked on kayak. It's pretty simple. Seven quarters <laughs> of seven consecutive quarters of declining revenue. Um, and Ouch. then the CEO, the CEO and uh, co-founder of the company uh, stepped down last year uh, in a little bit of a surprise move. Ouch, ouch, ouch. So these are often the kinds of events that lead to some of David's worst stocks. Uh, in this case, yeah, as you're mentioning, especially for companies that are growing. And that's that's really our focus in Rule Breakers and Rule Breaker Investing. We're looking for the companies that are, in their own ways, taking over some portion of the business world, becoming leaders, innovating. And if their top line declines in one quarter, that's usually pretty bad. If it goes down seven quarters in a row, well, that's what leads to really bad stock picks. And I have to say, I've been surprised um, throughout. It's been disappointing and losing your leadership team, which is a theme for some of our worst picks of years past. I've said this often on this series of this podcast that, yeah, we lost our CEO at some point. That that often triggers our worst picks. Now, Carl, is there something to hold out hope for with Trivago, again, down from 20-ish to 3-ish? I think what's been going on with Trivago is that they quite simply haven't been producing um, referrals that their advertisers have valued as much. Um, as as they would want, and um, you know, it's kind of a bidding based platform. So, what Travago has really been focused on is improving um, the quality of its referrals, essentially. And one of the ways they're measuring that is in revenue per qualified referral. And a qual- qualified referral is somebody who clicks on an, an individual in a given day who clicks on a link on the site. Even if they click on a whole bunch of links, mm-hmm. they become a qualified referral. Um, so the idea is get more revenue from these people uh, and do it without spending too much to attract them. And and this is if I, if I had to opine on this, and I wonder about uh, CEO Rolf uh, Schromjens, which I may be just butchering that name, but anyway, stepping down. The company's mo always seemed to be really like maximizing profitability and keeping costs low. I mean, they were very proud that I think they were founded in 2005. They were profitable by 2008. Even after seven quarters of uh, sinking revenue, they managed to stay profitable for five of those. Huh. Um, so they were, they were never all that big on investing heavily to grow the top line. And I don't know if that's going to change at all under the new uh, management. But, you know, I think that is also something to just hold out and, and see what happens. Well, and maybe this podcast can become part of the solution. So I'm on the site right now, Trivago.com. I'm encouraging all of our listeners to visit Trivago.com at some point in the next week. Don't you want to, quote, find your ideal hotel and compare prices from different websites? I mean, the homepage kind of looks like Google with its simplicity. You just type in your city, what day you want to check in and check out, and how many people in the room, bink, and it's going to price shop for you. Uh, and I hope find you a good hotel, Rule Breaker listeners and members, so maybe we can be part of the solution. Well, Carl, let me thank you very much for your time this week. I think it's, as I said at the top of the show, still appropriate to say Happy New Year. Happy New Year. Happy 2020 to everybody. Thank you. All right, now as we move to stock number three, we say goodbye to my friend Carl and hello to my friend Rick, Rick Munares. Dialing in, Rick, are you somewhere in and around your home city of Miami? Yes, I'm in Miami right now. Thank you. And do you look at people north of you and think that they they have no idea how to enjoy summer? 
I, I can't look at people south of me because there's no one below me. But yes, yes, it definitely uh, it is a thing. So yes, you're right. You could you could presumably travel down to the Caribbean and mock people for not understanding, not being able to deal with snow there as you guys do in yes. Miami. Yes. No. Here we have like fake snow where you go to like shopping malls, like outdoor malls. They have like soap snow, uh, and people act like, "Wow, it's like snow and it's really seventy degrees," and then you have soap on you all day. So that's here in Miami. All right. Well, stock number three is the ticker symbol is CWH. This is Camping World Holdings. Yep, this is another one that was featured last year, but another one that will be rotating off and away forever because we only look back three years. So. Before I kick it to you, Rick, to explain what's going on here, I think maybe an appropriate sound effect for this one, before we move into stocks that have lost less than 50%, because that's where we're headed next. So, I think maybe the the dunk tank sound. All right, yeah, that that feels appropriate. I, I'm I'm a little wet right now. So, yep, Camping World Holdings. I pick. It would have been right around Thanksgiving 2017. I'm seeing 11 slash 22 2017. Stock was at 39, just over 39 today, down to about 13 and a half, which is very frustrating because it's down 66 percent. Again, in less than three years. The market, by the way, is up 30 percent in that time. So it's about 100 percentage points. Behind the market, Rick, this one hasn't worked out well for us. What are one or two reasons why? Well, I think the very first thing about Camping World is that it had one atrocious year. Uh, I mean, the company went public in 2016. It's gone up every year but one, and in that year was 2018 when it lost almost three quarters of its value. So it's still it's a broken IPO right now. But I think the one big thing, like the one first uh, thing that went wrong in 2017, it bought. Gander Mountain, like assets from Gander Mountain out of bankruptcy. And this was a, a case where it seemed like it was getting a great price. And at the time, I know I believed that it was a great deal because a company that sells RVs and they're buying this outdoor goods retail, I mean, it was like, you know, like peanut butter and jelly. You know, if you're going to do selling RVs, why not Gander Mountain? But it's almost like when you go into this store, into like a furniture store, and you buy some sofa that's like an open box closeout sale, and then you take it home and you realize this doesn't work here. Um, there's a stain on here. I don't know. The colors don't look right. Um, I think that is exactly what happened with Gander Mountain, and Camping World is sort of realizing it. And back in September, just a few months ago, uh, uh, Marcus Limonis and, and the rest of the company said, all right, we're going to have to close or sell as many as 37 of these locations. If we don't find a way to sell RVs, or at the very least service recreational vehicles out of these stores, uh, they're, de- they're dead to us. And I think that uh, that was one thing, just one bad deal that maybe seemed smart at the time when you're basically playing with someone else's money in bankruptcy court. But it turned out to be a terrible uh, acquisition for the company. Mm. You mentioned Marcus Limonis, the well-known CEO of this company, well-known because of The Profit, the show on CNBC, which he hosts. So he's one of those few TV star CEOs. And I think I remember saying last year around this time, Rick, that I've started to distrust this type of person because the CEO of GoPro, another past David's worst losers, all-star, also on television. And geez, way back in the day, I talked about this a few years ago on the podcast, we shorted Donald Trump's company, Trump Hotels and Casino Resorts. Donald certainly spent a lot of time on television as well. So I don't I don't like it, Rick, when when our CEOs end up doing TV gigs that aren't related to their for-profit public business. 
Yes, and, and I mean, I, that could definitely be distracting, and in this case, it's clearly distracting. Uh, in Marcus Lamotta's case, I should, like in the element of full disclosure, he went to my high school. Um, he is part of the Christopher Columbus High School in Miami, graduated in 91. I graduated six years earlier, and I resent him because every time that the school has like an <laughs> alumni fundraiser, um, the class of 91 like outs you know, outraises uh, 1985 and all the other years because Marcus is the one who's cutting these six, sometimes even seven figures checks to the school. Uh, so, yes, another reason to resent him is because the class of 1985 of Christopher Columbus High School is being taken out by Marcus Limonis in the class of 1991. But, yes, it's definitely it's definitely a distraction um, when you're actually, you know, and again, I don't know how much time he puts into this TV show. And it's not like, he, you know, the RV industry itself has been struggling. So it's, you know, he is certainly happens to be in a rough industry. Yeah. I mean, maybe you'd have to be a wizard maybe to make it work, at least during <laughs> definitely during 2018. Uh, but yeah, it's definitely something could, that could be definitely distracting. All right. Now, this is a stock that remains under active recommendation in Molly Fool Rule Breakers. And it's not in the penalty box. This is one that we would buy. Today, you pointed out, Rick, that it's actually only had one year as a public company where it went down. It's just that it went down by a lot. What are we holding out hope for right now? Yeah, I mean, right now, and I know we're talking about losers, and this is like kind of like a, you know a, a bah humbug kind of moment. But the stock bottomed out at seven dollars and twelve cents in early September, and now almost like basically four months later, the stock has almost doubled. And what happened was it had a really strong quarter, strong relative to what we were expecting out of Camping World. Uh, it, it, revenues were up six percent. Uh, the RV sales, new and used. Both rose. Uh, its customer count, its active customer count, rose up to 5.24 million, which is up 17 percent. Uh, it also runs Good Sam Club, uh, which is the equivalent of, let's say, Triple A for RV owners, and that membership rose 8 percent to 2.17 million. So there's a lot of things that are. I mean, it's been basically stuck in reverse for a while, and definitely, you know, like basically fell off a cliff in 2018. Uh, but some of its segments of its business, basically, it's, it's bread and butter, the RVs. Uh, are starting to turn the corner and the stock is starting to come back. Obviously, it has a long way to go before it makes you, me, and everybody else who bought in whole, but it's definitely, uh, you know, it, it's at least starting to show signs of turning around. All right. And if it doesn't, well, darn it, I won't have to talk about it anymore because next year it'll be off of the three year list. But we do, obviously, uh, joking aside, we do hope for better things from Camping World. And certainly, as you mentioned, Rick, we have actually seen better things over the last few months. All right, so that's half. That's three down, three more to go. And at this halftime interlude, typically I would read an advertisement. We don't happen to have one this week. Wait, none of our sponsors wanted to sponsor my my worst picks? So, in absence of an ad, I would like to just point out one interesting fact. Fun fact, all six of these stocks appear in Motley Fool Rule Breakers, not Motley Fool Stock Advisor. Now, if you followed my work over the years, you know that I actively pick stocks and have for 15 plus years in both of those services. This wasn't true in years past, but this year it happens to be true that all six of my worst losers were in Rule Breakers, not in Stock Advisor. In fact, I'll tell you right now, in Stock Advisor, my worst selection the last three years has been BlackBerry, down 35%, which doesn't rate. For this week's podcast, but I was noticing. So here, here are some key stats. We have six stocks in these last three years that have doubled for Stock Advisor members, and we have just seven of the thirty-six picks in the last three years that are down. So this is a sign, right, of a strong market that we've all been living through. Twenty-nine of the thirty-six picks for our members in Stock Advisor are up, and our worst loser isn't even appearing on this. Podcast. Now, you might think, well, that's the one I should join. And darn it, if you're inspired to join Motley Fool Stock Advisor and you haven't already, 
I'm glad. I, I sure hope you'll join because it's been an amazing 18 years or so of stock picks for my brother Tom and me in Motley Fool Stock Advisor. But even though Rule Breakers has these horrific losers we're covering this week, it's also the service that has the biggest winners. So, as I mentioned, there are six stocks that have about doubled or better. None of them up 200%, though. None of them tripled in Stock Advisor. Whereas in Rule Breakers, I'm seeing the Trade Desk picked it a few years ago, it's up 710%, or Twilio is up 270%, or Altrix is up 291%, MongoDB is up 336%. So it kind of makes sense when you think about it, right? The more risk you're willing to take, the more reward you should expect, but also the more losses you should expect as well. So I hope with this interlude, I've made a convincing case that both of these strategies can win. One of them is more aggressive than the other. And I know that some of my listeners, stock advisor would be more appropriate, a little bit lower risk, fewer losers. Whereas for people who are more technologically inclined or maybe younger or enjoy volatility, Rule Breakers has our biggest winners of these last few years. And yes, at least six really bad picks, too. All right, Rick Minares. Well, I'm looking at David's Worst Losers, number four and number five, and they happen to bear the same ticker symbol, the same company. It is Upwork. Now, Upwork is a stock that I first picked in October of 2018. That's right, it's only a year and a half old, and it's been cut in half. It's down 49% over these roughly, gosh, it's only been about 15 months or so. I think for this first appearance of Upwork, the right sound effect that comes to mind for me, I think some kind of a Batman-like whack, pow, kabam kind of a sound. Me getting whacked by Batman for picking Upwork in October 2018. And now welcoming you back in, Rick. What has gone wrong for Upwork in the last year and a half? Yeah, I mean, Upwork... It's again. It's the kind of stock. It went public with all the hype of this company, the, the online marketplace. It's the leading online marketplace for freelancers and contractors. Uh, a booming industry, especially when you can go and you're, you're building a website and you want content. You can uh, have someone at the other side of the world uh, do it uh, for easier, maybe even more proficient than you could do locally. So uh, you know the premise of Upwork is still solid, but one thing that burns investors when they buy a new stock is they buy into a company. And they see these growth rates on these prospectus, and and for Upwork, it was you know in the high twenties, thirty percent. So it wasn't a, a, like a real scorcher, but people were expecting a company to grow at that pace. And then after its first four quarters as a public company, between you know in the, in the mid twenties to low thirties, uh, it had back to back quarters of growth in the teens in the first and second quarter of this year. Then in the third quarter, it bounced back. Of, by this year, I mean twenty nineteen. Sorry, uh-huh. in no the problem. third quarter, revenue rose twenty three percent, and you're thinking, yay, it's back on track. But then guidance in that same quarter said, oh, we're going to be back to 17 18% for the fourth quarter. And the fourth quarter is the one that just ended in December. So it's a company that's showing this decelerating growth. Uh, it's still moving in the right direction. It's taking baby steps. But it's definitely companies, you know, people don't want to buy into companies that hit the market at lofty valuations more often than not because there's a lot of, in, you know, air in some of these IPOs. And you sometimes just, if you don't get what you want right out of the gate, investors do cool on it. So that's definitely one thing that's gone wrong, which is the decelerating growth rate. Uh, at Upwork. You know, one thing that certainly has attracted us about this company is the gig economy that we're all living in and the idea of, you know, more contractors, free agent nation. I think Dan Pink once titled a book about a decade or so ago. That's true of today. Um, I do recognize the state of California has made it harder for companies to hire contractors. That's actually hurt us at The Motley Fool because some of our most talented 
writers who write articles every day about stocks moving the markets, who aren't named Rick Minars, because Rick Minars is the king of them all, I think, but some of them uh, live in San Diego, and all of a sudden, that's really complicated their lives. So we're trying to figure out how to deal with that. So I, I don't. I, I wonder, Rick, if that's played into it at all. Some of the backlash, I guess, against the gig economy. Do you think that's a factor? Most of the gig economy stocks have taken a hit uh, since growing public over the last couple of months. Uh, Uber, Lyft, Fiverr, uh, and obviously Upwork. These companies, and yes, California is a pretty big deal. And initially, the hit was more for like the the Uber and Lyft, where okay, you have to pay them as employees, not contractors as employees. So it's more expensive uh, to go the contractor and the freelancing route than it used to be. Uh, but it's something that's clearly weighing on investors. And you're still seeing growth at all these companies, but definitely it is weighing down uh, the excitement and the enthusiasm. And we don't know what's going to happen in California as 2020 plays out. We don't know if other mm. states can embrace that. We don't know if globally it could become an issue. So I'm just We've seen, uh, you know, we've had issues with just Uber, not that we're talking about Uber or Lyft, but we're talking about the gig economy in yeah. places like London and Germany. Uh, they, they have some setbacks and they usually come out ahead. Uh, but uncertainty and regulatory agencies, you know, clamping down on, on a potential growth obviously scares away investors, and that's definitely played a part here at Upwork. Mm, well, and and we're going to talk a little bit more about Upwork. I'm going to mention now that it's our fifth worst pick as well, because unfortunately, one month later, I was inspired to just repick it right away based on my confidence in Upwork. This is a, a company that we've used. Uh, we've appreciated their services, certainly. And indeed, we had the CEO, Stefan Kosriel, appear in front of our members. He was interviewed uh, in 2019. So, because we have a sound effect for each of these, we need to now play a second sound effect for the fifth worst pick, Upwork, once again. And we're starting to run out of sound effects. So I'm going to ask my talented engineer, Rick Engdahl, to play something that sounds like a pink slip that we've just received for having picked this stock, Upwork. I, I want to talk about what we can hope for and be hopeful about this active pick in Motley Fool Rule Breakers in a minute. But here's something I'm surprised by. I admit I was away for the holidays, just got back, Googled Upwork. I discovered that our 2019 friend, Stefan Kosriel, the CEO of Upwork, was replaced in the last week. I didn't actually know this, because Hayden Brown, as of January 1st, 2020, is now the CEO of Upwork. Now, Rick, we've talked about changes in leadership and how often these are some of our worst companies. I don't know if it's because the stock's done bad, then they replace the leader, or whether it's more causative, but any reflections on this change in leadership? Yeah, I mean, I think with a change in leadership, when a stock is doing poorly, it's not necessarily poorly received by investors. Uh, we saw this at Chipotle in early 2018. Not that there was anything wrong with Stephen Ells, but clearly Brian Nickel was the right man for Chipotle when they needed that fresh uh, perspective on things. Mm. So uh, I don't know too much about uh, the new CEO. I don't know uh, if it's the right choice or anything like that. But clearly, if, if, a, if a stock is struggling, if the company is slowing down, and that's exactly what happened in Upwork, it's not that people will react as if, let's say, you know, if, if, if a beloved CEO would step down uh, from a company that's doing really well, if a Reed Hastings or a Tim Cook or something like that, uh, clearly there'd be more of a calamity. Uh, uh, if Warren Buffett would say, I'm done, uh, it, it would be definitely something more different than a company like Upwork where – uh, you know, any change might be good, at least to jumpstart, uh, you know, investor faith in it. So uh, I see that as, you know, as as a mild positive. All right. Well, and this is the hopeful section of our discussion about this particular company. So uh, maybe a change in management is a reason for hope. Do you see anything else that we should be holding out some hope for? Maybe a comeback for Upwork. 
Yes, uh, and, and the positives I see were in that third quarter report. And when we when I start talking about it, I'm saying, well, obviously this is the caveat with as great as that third quarter was, the guidance, and it actually lo- hosed down its guidance for the full 2019. So um, the fourth quarter is going to be pretty rough. But in the third quarter, at least, we did see uh, a lot of improving margins. We saw its take rate improve. And take rate is a very big thing in gig economy. It's basically the percentage of the gross services volume that it keeps. Uh, just like Uber, you know, what it doesn't pay its drivers, what it keeps for itself. Uh, same thing with Fiverr or Lyft, all these companies. Uh-huh. Uh, Upwork is no different. So it's finding ways to become more useful and that uh, either employees or the the, the, the hires, the, the contractors, the freelancers that Upwork ultimately employs, it's finding it more desirable to say, hey, Upwork, I don't mind giving you a little bit more of the money. Uh, you're doing a good job at it. So uh, that's definitely a nice trend to see. It shows some pricing flexibility and elasticity uh, with Upwork. And whether it exploits that or not in the future, we don't know. But it's definitely a good sign to see, a good metric I like to see why. All right. Well, the stock, again, with a new CEO that I hadn't even heard about because I just got back from winter break, uh, starts 2020 right around $10 a share. So, we'll see if it's one of those comeback stories. We're going to be talking about that right at the end. I'm going to look back at last year's and see what's happened to each of those companies that we covered last year. Speaking of sound effects this week, we might have a little bit of maybe a rocky soundtrack moment toward the end of this podcast. But let's move on, Rick, now to the final, the sixth of David's Worst Losers. And this is the company iQIYI. The ticker symbol is IQ. It is another return visitor. I covered it last year, iQIYI. I first picked April of 2018. So, that means if I featured this last year in January of 19, it had a really bad first eight months or so for Rule Breaker members. Although, Amazingly, I remember it almost doubled in the first couple of months we had. Anyway, so a very volatile stock, Rick Minares. But overall, yeah, the stock basically I, I repicked in June of 2018. It was at 40 then, and now it's around 23. So this stock is down 43%. So Aichi is in the movie business. So when I think about a sad movie, because that's the sound effect I think that should play here. I mean, Titanic was a pretty sad movie. It had its moments and I guess it was uplifting near the end, which is what we hope is true of each of our stock picks that I'm going over this week. But, I mean, how could we not invoke a little bit of that titanic sadness in the sound effect for this stock pick? The sixth worst pick that I've made in the last three years. Rick, what has been going wrong at IGE? Yes, I, I mean with 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 IQE, it, I, when it went public, uh, basically two years ago at this point, uh, it was everyone called it the Netflix of China, and obviously it's very hard to live it to live up to something when you're called the Netflix of China. You wind up becoming the blockbuster of China or the Hollywood <laughs> Neo of China. Not that IQE is at that point, but just as we saw with Upwork earlier, this is a company that it went public uh, like two years before it went public. Revenue had doubled. Then revenue was up fifty five percent in twenty seventeen. Then when it went public, it was actually solid through the first five quarters, basically the first four quarters of 2018, all four quarters of 2018, and the first quarter of 2019. Mm. Revenue was up between 40 and 49%, which you're thinking, okay, it's happening. Yeah, <laughs> we'll get there. But then the last two quarters in the in the second quarter of 2019, down uh, up 15%, sorry. And in the third quarter, up 7%. And it's guidance for the fourth quarter that we won't report till probably sometime in early February. Uh, it's saying the, the midpoint is about 1% growth. So mm. it is a company where the growth train is sort of like started to slow down and not just slow down like Upwork, which is, a, you know, like a mild slowdown. This is like a sharp slam on the brakes deceleration 
uh, slowdown at Aichi. And I think that that's clearly weighing on what people think about the company's prospects because Netflix hasn't done this. Uh, um, so it's not the Netflix of China. So that is then, Rick, thank you for that. Another example of a company losing speed on the top line, sales growth decelerating, possibly even declining if they underperform from here. And so as we start to recognize some patterns around some of our biggest losers, we've talked about management turnover. We've also talked about slowing growth. So things to watch out for. Now, thus much for pattern recognition, but Rick, something else has not been going so great with IGE. Yes, with IGE, there are two components to its business. And initially, when it went public, the big hype was that it had more than 400 million users, uh, which is obviously a huge number in any for any service. But the, the large majority of them are freeloaders. It's an ad-supported service for most consumers uh, through China and through Asia that use IGE. And Lately, because that has been taking a hit and because of the Chinese economy slowing, the Chinese ad revenue, online ad revenue, has been a tough nut to crack. And we have companies like Baidu uh, that are sort of struggling, but not to the point of Aichi right now, where ad revenue actually declined 14% in its latest quarter. So you have a case where online streaming is already a difficult uh, business to monetize when online advertising rates are decent. When people, advertisers are less willing to pay up to reach out to consumers, it does create this market where the online ad revenue isn't going to add up, regardless of consumption going up. So it is not something you can make up in volume, and that's really been stinging Aichiji right now. Mm, okay. I'm still filled with some angst just thinking about that sad, sad soundtrack. Rick, can you give us some hope, those of us who've backed Aichiji? Yes, and I think what really the Aichi story hinges on right now, and it's an exciting part of the story, is premium subscribers. And just when they when they were a year or two years ago to a public and they were saying Netflix, the Netflix of China, Aichi was almost more like the YouTube of China, mm. uh, which is drug YouTube has struggled to get like premium platform going, uh, and it's just mostly uh, you know free people using it, ad supported on a free basis. I don't want to say freeloaders; that sounds like a negative term. Enjoy content when it's free; it's great. But in this case, um, the real money lies in people that are willing to pay a couple bucks a month, uh, not as much as they're paying for Netflix, to have a premium service, access to original content. So Aichiji is making these big investments in original proprietary content. It's making a better platform for people willing to pay for a superior experience. And they're up to 105.8 million total paying subscribers, which is up 31% over the past year. And average revenue per user is flat, so it's not that that's growing. Uh, but you do have a case where while ad revenue is shrinking, subscription revenue is on the rise. And over over the course of 2019, ad uh, subscription revenue has now overtaken ad revenue as the real driver. So I think you're going to see some really exciting things here uh, in, in the year ahead uh, where you know, ad revenue will become less important and it'll become more the subscription revenue, which I think is something that uh, China uh, and the rest of the world is getting used to paying up for premium content. Well, thank you for that, Rick. And yeah, I mean, we have our fingers crossed for each of these companies, even if it's on hold, these all remain active recommendations and Motley Fool members own these. Now, I sure hope Motley Fool members own some of the other companies that we pick, because if somehow you found your way into these six and didn't buy any others, you might have canceled your membership a while ago. But no, I, the good news is uh, sometimes these stocks actually come back. So, Rick, I mean, well, fingers crossed. Again, thank you to Rick Minares for those four stocks and Carl Teal at the top of this podcast for the first two, the biggest. So, getting by with a little help from my friends in good times and in this case, in bad times and bad stock picks. 
Well, I mentioned earlier a couple of times that it would be fun to look back at the stocks I picked last year. So that was, again, David's Biggest Losers Volume 4. Feel free to go back, Google it, and you can re listen to it. But the stocks were Trivago, Camping World Holdings, IGE, Impinge, and Fitbit. And I thought, again, it would be fun to see how those stocks have done over the last year since that podcast. Trivago, as already mentioned, well, it was actually at six a year ago, so now it's down below three. So things have just gone from bad to worse for Trivago. Camping World Holdings, as Rick mentioned a little while ago, uh, touched seven in September this year. But a year ago, it was at 13.5, so it dropped down during this year, but then it rose back up to where it is today at 13.5. So there's a loser that basically tread water in a kind of a dramatic fashion over the last year. But then get this, IGE was featured last year at 16, today it's 23. Yep, it's still one of our biggest losers, but it's up almost 50% since last year. And Impinge, featured on last year's show, has gone from 15 where it was then to 26 today, so up about 60%. And the last one that was featured last year was Fitbit. Now, I think a lot of us recognize that Alphabet, Google, Alphabet has since swooped in to buy out Fitbit, a big data play for a big data company. A year ago, Fitbit was at five and a half, and it touched below three this August before Alphabet swooped in, and today it's at six and a half, so it's up about 20%. It's actually supposed to be acquired, I think, just over $7 a share. There's about a 20% gap right now between where Fitbit, ticker symbol, FIT is trading and where it's expected to be bought out, uh, which is an interesting thing to note. Now, what was the king of all dog stocks that has made the ultimate comeback? And Rick, if you could just give me a little Rocky music here. Three years ago on David's Biggest Losers Volume 2, I presented what was called at the time Restoration Hardware. Now, RH, which is how the company has renamed itself in the meantime, back then was at $25 a share. It had been crushed, obviously, since it was on the podcast that week. It had been crushed. Today, Restoration Hardware, again, three years ago this month, $25. Today, it is at $231 a share, nearly a 10-bagger from where we featured it on David's Worst Losers, Volume 2. So, for a stock I originally picked in Stock Advisor on March 20th of 2015, yeah, it's been a winner. I mean, it's up 127% overall, given all of that volatility. It's a little bit more than a double, with the market up 70% over that time. So, RH is 57 percentage points ahead of the market, but it's almost a 10-bagger from where it was three years ago this month. So, in conclusion, you know, looking back over the years doing this particular podcast, My Worst Losers, I would have inspirational quotes from football coaches about winning and losing. And I still love those quotes, by the way. So if anybody wants to go back and hear any of those podcasts and hear from people like Lou Holtz or Vince Lombardi and what they think about winning and losing, I hope you'll be inspired by that. But here are just a few thoughts as we close out and reflect on losing. So the first thing I want you to know is this is normal. Uh, investing is often learning how to skate. You know how you fall when you learn how to skate? Well, it's, I'm not talking about learning investing. I'm talking about the act of investing. You kind of fall all over the ice. And that's always going to be true. I still fall all over the ice 30 years after I started investing. You shouldn't expect ever to win the gold in Olympic figure skating as an investor, because to do that, you can't fall in Olympic figure skating. But we continue to fall, and I always will. And 
Another reflection is that we like to talk about our losers. I mean, I hope you had fun. There's some schadenfreude that perhaps you've experienced and enjoyed a little bit this particular week. But it's important for us to reflect on our losers, to be transparent. And I take pride that all of our Motley Fool services, with all of our winners and losers, when you join a service, you see our full scorecard. You see transparently every good and every bad thing I or any of my fellow fools has ever done. History and performance are critically important. And it's sad to me that in so many areas of the industry today, financial prognostication, stock picking, etc., people make unaccountable claims, especially on television, all the time. Well, we're the opposite. We take pride in our transparency, and we own everything that we do, the good and, this week especially, the bad, the airballs, the bloopers. And then I guess my last one might just be, you know, don't live in fear of losing. I think so many people do. Especially this time of year, a lot of people make New Year's resolutions and they say things like, I want to be better with my money or my health. But in this case, we'll go with my money in the year ahead and they'll join a Motley Fool service. And Or maybe they're listening to this podcast for the first time, hearing me talk about stocks going down 87%, which is very real and never feels good. But if you live in fear of losing, you'll never win. I've often said, I lose to win. I lose more than anybody I know at most things that I do, which includes board games, by the way, but I don't live in fear of losing. In fact, it is a commonplace, and if you're a regular listener, you know this, that our winners, even just one or two of them, have fully wiped out all of our losers, our bad losers, on our scorecards. So, Mercado Libre, my best pick ever, and Motley Fool Rule Breakers, on its own, having made more than 40 times its money since we originally picked it, that stock alone wipes out pretty much all of the bad losers on that scorecard for that service. And that's just one stock the best. And that's just as true, certainly, on Stock Advisor with picks like Netflix or Marvel, which turned into Disney. These wonderful stocks remind us that it's okay to lose. So, don't live in fear of losing. It's rare that I talk up the following week's podcast. I mean, I kind of like to preview many of my podcasts. I'll say kind of what we're doing next week. But what we're doing next week it's like nothing we've ever done before. So, whether you are a longtime listener or brand new, I hope you'll join me next week. I don't want to overpromise here, but I think next week's podcast might be unforgettable. As always, people on this program may have interest in the stocks they talk about, and The Motley Fool may have formal recommendations for or against. So, don't buy or sell stocks based solely on what you hear. Learn more about Rule Breaker Investing at rbi.fool.com.